Today's episode finds me in Bowling Green, Missouri at the Northeast Correctional Center where I was invited to come speak at a restorative justice organization banquet. Um, the inmates can have their own organizations in the Missouri prison and they can have one banquet a, week, a year and they listened to our podcast and the president at that time, Michael Etchison, invited me to come speak and I did. I also got to speak to the general population but between speaking to the general population and the banquet, I got to sit down with Michael and hear his story. I already knew it, but hearing it in person and in detail, and, and it just, it's, it's a good one. All right, so we're, today we do a background check on Michael Etchison. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. No. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Gum, and where we believe your background should hold you back, it should pay you back. We are uh, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. If you want to know more about Forgiven Felons, visit the forgivenfelons.org on the web. You can also watch our documentary on Roku TV, the Christian Movie Channel on YouTube, and where else? On Tubi TV as well. So, watch it people are still watching that thing it was made in 2019 and people are still watching that thing and let's see we are also brought to you by union houston great church down in houston pastor rod and sarah vargas visit them at unionhouston.com and check them out you can watch them online or if you're if you're in the houston area you can uh, go visit tell them background you heard about it on background check and you want to check it out we're also brought to you by (coughs) excuse me Clarity Roofing and Solar. You can visit them and uh, on clarityroofingandsolar.com or you can call them at 972-922-6434. When you call and talk to Clarity Roofing and Solar, you're going to you're going to be dealing with some really upstanding people. They love to give back to the community. They believe in second chances and they believe in quality work and and uh, yeah, Joe Maderos over there, he's also a Steeler fan. Don't hold that against him. We love we love the Steelers. But give them a call today, uh, 972-922-6434, or visit them at clarityroofingandsolar.com. Hey, if you want to write the show, it's P.O. Box 4283, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. P.O. Box 4283, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106, if you want to write Forgiven Felons or Background Check Podcast. So uh, I'm not going to do shout-outs today. I'm so sorry. We have gotten a few in, but I'll get to them next week on our Thanksgiving special and we're going to do a Thanksgiving special. I'm probably going to try to release it on, on maybe uh Thanksgiving morning, see if they update it and you can hear it on Thanksgiving or, or the day after Thanksgiving, either way, it's going to be a special one. So, um, but today I just want to get right into our show. Our guest, uh, Michael Etchison has been writing the show for a while hearing our podcast in, um, uh, the Northeast correctional center in Bowling Green, Missouri, and he's written a story a few times and shared it with me, but he's never gone into into all the detail. 
So they invited me up to speak at their banquet, their annual banquet for their RJO, Restorative Justice Organization, where they make things for the community, do things for the community. They raised funds from inmates. They donated $500 to forgiven felons. Can you believe that? It was incredible. They invited me to come speak at the banquet. They, um, the, the older gentleman who works in the craft shop made me a little black and yellow Steeler truck, put a put forgiven felons name on it and core values in the truck bed. It's really neat. They gave me a certificate. Um, they donated craft items to our fundraiser. It's just incredible. We had an incredible time, but between the general population service at 1 PM and the evening banquet, I got to sit down with Michael and uh, hear his story. I believe the, the position of the lady that was in there with us was also, I think, maybe assistant warden. I don't know. She's she was high high ranking. Anyway, she just she was crying. She loved it. Uh, she knew Michael's story, but she'd never heard all the details. And so he opens his heart. And listen, if you're uh, if you're one that believes certain um, offenses are never forgiven and people have a disease and they'll never never be cured, uh, you may get triggered by this episode. Um, but I encourage you to listen to it so you can understand the depth of God's grace, mercy, and love. Uh, so here is my interview from inside the Department of Corrections in, in Missouri with Michael Etchison. Michael Etchison, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thanks, and, and welcome to the northern frontier of uh, Forgiven Felons. <laughs> Dude, did you ever think that we would be doing this right now? No. When you first started listening <laughs> Absolutely to... Absolutely not. Okay, y'all, we are at the Missouri Northeast Correctional Center Prison in uh, Bowling Green, Missouri. Uh, I mean, the only thing I even knew about Bowling Green at this point was that they had a pretty decent football team. The, not, the, the university. Right. That's yeah. not us. <laughs> That's not here. <laughs> this is uh, this is not the football. This is not the university, although it is a... Uh, school of some sort um because there's a lot of education going on here learning well actually some of us call it the northeast christian college yeah there's there a go. lot of that going on here yeah we're we're really blessed it's a- so it has been a pleasure to get to know you through uh, mail snail mail right uh i have i don't write much back so but i can't I, because everybody writes um but i do holler back at you uh, evidently there's right. there, there's uh the last few episodes you guys haven't got yet, so I do give a shout out to you on on some of those too. Uh, gave a shout out to the whole unit on the last one, right. so wait till y'all hear that one. But um, but and, and, and every time you do, like guys come up to me and they're like, "You're that guy he's talking about." I'm saying, "Yeah, yeah, man, you guys got to check this out. It, it's it's so great. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor to get to hear your your story. It's, and, it's um, really um, it's really special to get to tell it too. I got, I got to tell you, Mike. Um, you know. You've listened to a lot of, lot of, uh, all of them, or all of them. You've yeah. listened to all of them, and you mentioned in your last letter that, um, you know that, that you love the story of our of our twenty week old stillborn, yeah, that we call Bubblegum, right? And, um, you know, and and you wrote that story, right? You wrote that story, oh. and Mike, I'm telling you, dude, and I may post it online, I may post it somewhere, I may read it one episode, just read it. I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, but I'm sitting there reading it at the post office in the parking lot and I'm literally just ugly crying. I, when I, I was up at the flagpole weeding the garden when that story came to me and I'm sitting there on the boulevard, just bawling and a, a CEO comes by and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> it's, 
Um, no, yes. Um, it's awesome because um, a lot of times I, I don't really feel things. And so it's, it's really, for me, it's a sign of the healing that Jesus has done in my heart that that even a story like that makes me ball in public. So for those of you who don't know, you know, Bubblegum was our um, our third miscarry, but we didn't miscarry her like the first two, which were just at 10 weeks. This one was 20 weeks. We were actually headed to uh, our midwife, who was a very good friend of ours, um, to look at the gender. It was 20 weeks. We were ready to see the gender. We had a gender reveal party ready. Oh, my. Um, they were waiting for us. And we were at the midwife and we called our baby bubblegum because our last name's gum. Right. And we didn't know the gender. So we just said bubblegum, bubble, you know? Uh, so we get to the midwife and she's, she's doing the sonogram like she always does. And there's no movement. And sometimes there was no movement with bubblegum. Bubblegum right. would be right. sleeping, but Amy would always find the heartbeat right. and just say, you can't see bubblegum moving, but here's her heartbeat. Hmm. And Amy was taking a long time to show us the heartbeat. And I was like, Amy, um, it, obviously Bubblegum's asleep, but why don't you just show us the heartbeat like you always do? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. And then my, my wife takes her hand and says, Amy, it's okay. It's mm -hmm. obvious. And, oh. I mean, you've heard the podcast where yeah. we've talked about it. It just devastated us, oh. devastated us, man. I mean, I was so I was so many emotions, right. part part mad at God, part wanted to comfort my wife because I knew she was already thinking her body was inadequate, right. you know, and she couldn't produce a baby. And I was just like, I was like, all right, God, are we ever going to have kids here on Earth? Yeah, that I I can't imagine what that would have been like to. So to that's the history of why you of why you you know because. Over the last 109 podcasts, we've had several podcast episodes where we've talked about that. Right. And so you gathered all that information, and then with a deposit from, from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, yeah. you wrote this story, and this story had me bawling. This story had my wife bawling. And then my mom came over later that night or mm. the next day, and I let her read it. And oh, she wow. just... Because that's her husband. Right. That That right. is my dad in, right. in heaven. And uh, so thank you, man, for just... That that was that was like pure Holy Spirit because I was not even thinking about that. I was well at at the flagpole. That's kind of concentrated ground because I yeah. go up there and that's that's where I do my prayer time and and because I'm on my knees pulling weeds and so God now talk about stuff and it's a great place. Yeah. And uh, and that story just it came and it's really weird because it was like there was a deadline. I had to do it that day. Wow. And so I. I, I wrote it once on the tablet and then sat down at a typewriter and me and typewriters, we don't get along well. <laughs> I mean, I'm and, you, and you mentioned that you said, if there's a mistake, don't, you know, look, please overlook it. I, I'm, I'm a whole lot better with word perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, it, we'll cherish that story forever. Good. good and, uh, and so thank you. So tell us, okay. So I'm here because of you. Right. All right. But you have this organization Tell us who you are, what all you do on this unit, what you're involved in, what you got your hands in, uh, but talk about the one, the main one, right. what reason we're here. So, uh, yeah, my name's Michael Atchison, and I'm I'm here. Uh, I I'm the current president of the RJO for about uh, what three more hours. And tell everybody what RJO stands for. RJO is the uh, Restorative Justice Organization, okay. and uh, every year we kind of flop over, 
And so um, we'll be changing the changing the guard here in a little bit, and we'll have a new group coming in, and they get to be in leadership for a while. And also, what, is, what does the RJO do? Um, how they, long how long has it been in existence? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know you, that. You don't actually. Know? Um, I know that the RJO in in the state of Missouri they do things to give back to the communities that they've affected. Okay. And so they'll. Uh, uh, we've got all kinds of little projects that we do. We make uh, crochet hats, and we make uh, quilts, and we make things that are donated to homeless shelters. They've got uh, they make coloring books that they use up in the uh, visiting room, and wow. they've got stuff that they send out to class. You know, maybe they can get us some pictures of those, and we can post as well. Okay, yeah, okay. that'd be great. I think they'd love that. Um, so, as president of the RJO, what has been your job, and what what is well, uh, my big job, um, we've had a lot of controversy about our, our fundraiser event <laughs> or our fundraiser item, and it's been going back and forth. And like every single meeting, we've had to vote about what it was going to be. But my, my real job was just learning how to be um, in leadership because I actually knew very little about it. Yeah. And uh, the, it was, it's a God thing. God was yeah. provided uh, a way to learn some leadership. So That's good. But um, I'm involved in a bunch of other things around here. We've got uh, Prison Performing Arts. Now, what do they do? They put on plays. And that's a group of uh, actors and actresses. And we've got uh, awesome directors. And we even... And those had, are all just from inmate being... No, these are um, people from uh, St. Louis, uh, Missouri University. Okay, so it's people out there that right. are performers and right. artists. And they come inside here but the, to perform their... No, the inmates are the actors. They come in to direct us. Oh, okay. And this, this last play that we did was called Hag Seed, and it's, uh, it was an adaptation of, uh, um, oh my gosh, I've forgotten her name, but uh, she, wrote a, she wrote a book called Hag Seed. Gotcha. And uh, so they adapted it specifically so that we could do it, because it was a play about prison performing arts kind of stuff. Oh, it was, cool. And so they were going to put on Tempest in a prison. And so it was specially adapted for us, and that that's wow. just awesome. Those are those are really awesome people. I'm also in the uh, the VVA Veteran uh, Vietnam Veterans Administration or uh, organization, and uh, they they and do a lot around here so too. So you served? Yes, I was in the Navy for 11 years. Um, they've just a couple of years ago they started the uh, Missouri Veterans Wing program, which is for incarcerated veterans and uh, it's kind of a way to regain the, the honor yeah. that, that we've lost by coming to prison thank you for your service thank you um, we've served a lot of veterans come through for our transitional houses yeah, it's and uh it's i think a lot of people don't understand we've had some vietnam vets come through mm -hmm. that were introduced to heroin yeah. dur during the war it was provided yeah it was for given, them, to, them, given yeah. to them and and then they get out and they're they're hooked right and then they they end up in prison because of that addiction, and yeah. uh, just breaks my heart, man. Yeah. Breaks my heart. Um, we we know. had a we had a guy that lived in our wing that was a Vietnam vet, and he was a drug addict, and just just a sad sad case. Yeah. And and uh, he recently had passed away, and that was that was pretty impactful. Yeah, um, he could have gone home. I thought. Yeah. He had an outdate. He just didn't have a place he could uh, hmm. home plan to, and he passed away in prison, and that's so sad. Wow. Um, well, contact me next time you have somebody like that and see if we can help them out. I, I Believe it or not, I actually was thinking about it, but things moved. It moved so quick, yeah. 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 So, um, so uh, you got family? I do. Um, most of my family's well, my mom and dad are up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, that's why you're a cheesehead. Yeah, well, 
we I grew up in New York. I, I originally grew up in New York, and they migrated to Wisconsin because my sister and her husband were up there. Okay. And uh, then we moved up there. Um, then my sister and her husband moved down here to Missouri, and for years we'd come down, and they'd be like, oh, you guys have got to come down here. This is so great. I mean, it's like 70 down here, and it's 30 below up there. And <laughs> so we would – we and. So 99, I was like, oh, that's it. We're coming down. We're moving down. We moved down here. And six months later, they moved back to Wisconsin. And I'm like, you tricked us. You tricked us. So, oh, man. But now they're out in Pennsylvania. And okay. uh, I, I, I'm currently married um, and have four children. My wife is up in Wisconsin, too, with our children. They're all adults now. Um, but she's filed for divorce. And we're in the kind of final stages of it. Yeah. I have, I've done a lot of praying and fasting and, you know, at one point I thought that maybe God was saying that he was going to resurrect the marriage and I was praying and fasting about it and it just doesn't seem like it's going that way. Yeah. But I've put it, I I really have, I put it in God's hands and said, you know, um, I'm going to do prison ministry when I get out. And, um, so, uh, um, Priscilla Bordeo said, when you get out, run a hundred miles an hour doing what God said to do. And uh, look around and see who's around you. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that, I mean, my wife is a wonderful person, but there's no way she could keep up with yeah. that. And yeah, yeah, she's, um She's been really badly hurt by the things that I did. And yeah. uh, it's sad because for many years I lived a fake Christian life in front of her. Yeah. And uh, growing up she had some, many things that also contributed to that. And her mom, her stepmom used to tell her all the time, you're not a good Christian. You're not a good Christian. Mm-hmm. And so um, she's really stopped going to church and uh, doesn't want anything to do with that right now. Yeah. That that really makes me sad because on the flip side, here I am in prison and God's been doing some very awesome and powerful things in my life. And just What's, does, it, what's some, he doing in your life? Well, um, right now, <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's got me doing a podcast. <laughs> but... Uh, so, sixteen years ago, right? When, yeah, let's 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 go ahead and let's let's uh yeah let's dive into your background. You okay. ready to do a background check? Sure, absolutely. You nervous? No, uh, good. Not at all. There's no pressure. <laughs> but like I said, um, well, you know, your episode first things first, right? So this is this is absolutely the first podcast that we've ever done at Bowling Green, probably the first in the DOC. And so I, I'm like aware that if I screw this up, nobody ever gets to do one again. <laughs> So there's no pressure, no pressure. No pressure, no but, pressure. Uh, so um, I, I grew up in a small town in, in New York called Owego. And my mom and dad, my dad was a uh, computer programmer with IBM. And my mom was a registered nurse. And I went to Catholic school for the first six years. I went to St. Patrick's. And, uh, you know, it looked like a really good life. We were very, very solidly middle class. My dad didn't buy anything on credit. So we didn't have the nicest cars on the block, but we had plenty of money to go do things and, right. and, and be a family. We were also the house that was like literally three houses. Well, it was a church and two houses from downtown. Ten-minute walk from school. So all the kids that, you know, live way out in the country, when they were done with their sports and stuff, they'd come to our house and hang out, right? And it was just that kind of place. But um, my... My, my, I had a, a kind of a facade there because uh, my life wasn't that, that perfect. Yeah. Um, I've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, 
that I was molested when I was probably three or four. Yeah. And I don't know who did it, and I don't remember all the details. I can guess, but that's all it would really be. Yeah. But when that happened, um, I built this wall kind of around myself to protect myself. And I've read several books, and they tell me that uh, when that happens to somebody that young, they come to one of two conclusions. They come to the conclusion that God can't be trusted, or they come to the conclusion that, that I wasn't worth protecting. And I had both. I, I didn't think I was worth protecting. And uh, so um, my dad and my mom, they were you know, really great people. I don't think they had any idea what had, had happened. And uh, so my dad was a current, uh, uh, typical uh, dad of that time of the yeah. 70s, right? And big boys don't cry and big boys don't show emotions. And there's a picture of me in the, the family slideshow. And I'm like five and I'm angry. And I've got my hand cocked back. I'm mm. going to punch something. And my eyes are like demon red. Wow. And so every time the family did their little slideshow thing that was in there and everybody go, Oh, how cute, how cute. And so I mm. learned that you don't, wow. you don't show any emotion because they'll laugh at you and yeah. make fun. And then, um, and I wasn't a real popular kid at school. I was uh, the kid that was like teased and picked on a lot and probably mainly because I had that, that issue in me already Yeah. that said I'm unworthy and I'm broken, I'm dirty. So when people say that, that just resonates, right? Yeah. It, it strikes deep. And somebody that doesn't already feel that way just shakes that off. They're, right. They're like, no, I'm not. I know I am, but, you know, all that kind of stuff. And me, I was like, yeah, you're right. I am this, that, that what you're calling me. Um, and I really don't know where where it started, but I know that as early as, as probably like first grade, I was doing things that were really inappropriate uh, sexually with some of the girls that lived in the neighborhood. And... Uh, so that really, again, that kind of contributed to the whole right. thing. And uh, I shared it in a letter with you. I, I, I had this memory of um, I had uh, I'd been on the playground and I was being teased by the boys. But that's that's why I don't like the Steelers, because one of the main bullies on the yard was a guy that always wore a Steelers jacket. Mm. And, and so I, so I just sorry. Yeah. I apologize <laughs> on his behalf. Couldn't couldn't possibly ever like the Steelers. But anyways, uh, this one kid was teasing me, and I shoved him, and he fell down. And of course, the, the nuns, all they saw was the shove. Yeah. And so I got called into the office, and I got disciplined for it. And I, I, I felt so um, you know, betrayed. It's like, what do you mean? I'm yeah. in trouble. I, I was just defending myself. These guys are all picking on me. And so I, I remember I went out, and I went out the, the door back up to the playground, and I just yelled at this guy. I said, you know what, if you want me to be a child molester when I grow up, that's on you, right? And so even as, as young as fourth grade, that's what I was already starting to call myself. Mm, and wow. when you call yourself something, that's what you become, right? Yeah. And so um, as I was growing up, I knew that that was wrong, but it, like most things, you just, you know it's wrong, but you can't stop. And so I developed this kind of double life where yeah. on the outside, I was this guy that, you know, going to church all the time and, and uh, the kind of guy that everybody's like, you know, why can't you be like him? And on the inside, I'm doing all these, mm -hmm. things, you know, in, in, in the dark, I'm doing all this stuff. And it just continues to add to the guilt, and the shame and the guilt, and the shame. And uh, but I, I was as a as a young teen, I was like a, a little bit strange because I wanted to go to church all the time. Um, 
as part of the Catholic Church, you end up going through the, it's called the confirmation retreat. And I went to this confirmation retreat and it was like the first co-ed thing that I'd ever gone to. And uh, so all the cool kids are off doing what cool kids do at uh, co-ed events, right? And I'm not one of the cool kids, so I'm in the prayer room doing what the not cool kids do, (laughs) wishing they were cool kids. And uh, I get up and I go to the kitchen because they said there were snacks in the kitchen. And this uh, guy, he was a a lawyer. His name was Vince Squalia. And Vince was sitting there in the kitchen and he's guarding the pretzels and stuff. And he says, you know, come on in, come on in. You want some snacks? And I'm like, Sure. I come in. He said, you want a soda? I'm like, yeah. He says, "Uh, do you know Jesus? And so at this point, I'm like 14. I got uh, six years of Catholic school. Yes, yes, I know Jesus. No, he said, you know about Jesus. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. You know, know, let me introduce you to Jesus, right? And so the Jesus he told me about wasn't anything at all like I had learned about in school. Mm. I'm like, man, I want that. So I prayed a prayer with him and... uh, accepted Jesus. But at that time, you know, in the seventies, we didn't do a lot of that grabbing a hold of guys that have just accepted Christ and going, okay, now this is how you should live. Right. You know, it's just like, oh, we got it. We got a tally mark. We won. Yay. And so I went back and I continued to live that kind of dual, dual life. And, uh, I knew what was wrong and I, you know, try and stop and try and stop. And you just, you can't, the more you try and get yourself out of this jam, the deeper you get in it. And, uh, so we get to uh, move on to uh, when I'm 18, right? And, uh, you know, got the, the whole self-esteem issues going on and stuff. And I decided that uh, I'd go ahead and join the Navy. And uh, part of the reason that I joined the Navy was because I was really afraid that if I applied to a college, they would reject me. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's something else that's really common with sex uh, addicts is that fear of rejection. And so I was terribly afraid that I'd be rejected. So I didn't even apply. I was yeah. just like, I'm going to go to join the Navy that solves that. And uh, I also thought that I would, you know, if I could change my location, I could change my situation, right? The old geographic cure for the personal problem that never, ever works. And, uh, you know, when I, when I look at it now, I'm like, and the Navy was such a great choice because they're <laughs> so moral. <laughs> but uh, so it didn't, it didn't go well. And... Uh, I get, I get through boot camp and I go out to, I ended up going out to San Diego for my first school. And there I found, uh, you know, the, the, the nightlife out there, the strip clubs and there's adult bookstores. Coronado beach. All over, um, all over. And, um, so that added to things. I mean, it's, it's like now we're, now we're sinking even deeper and deeper and, uh, ended up, uh, got, I almost didn't make it through my hospital Corman A school because I was spending so much time running around San Diego. And I'm a smart guy because when I was in high school, I took the SAT and I got a 1,200 on my SAT, which in 1983 was top 10% of the United States. And so all of a sudden, my fear about being accepted in college was kind of blown out of the water because they started sending me letters saying, hey, Mm. come here, come here. But at that point, I'd already, I thought I had committed to the Navy. Um, turns out in the delayed entry program, I probably could have said, nah, no, I'm not really interested. And, uh, uh, so on my, uh, graduation day, right. The recruiter calls and says, Hey, um, just remind you, you're going to boot camp tomorrow. I'm like, Oh no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to college. And he says, Oh yeah, yeah. Just come out to the MEP station and sign some paperwork. You'll be out. Sure. <laughs> out, out on your way to boot camp. 
So, but anyways, I get out to San Diego and, you know, now I've got money and I've got freedom and I can just do whatever I want. And so the downward spiral continues. And uh, I got, end up my first duty station, uh, ended up going up to uh, Connecticut, which was a, was a nice duty station, but it was a, a naval hospital. A naval hospitals, everything's got to be, you know, super, yeah. super, super, you know, nice, clean, and right. pressed and all that. And I was not the nice, clean, and pressed guy at that time because of the, the uh, self-esteem issues. And uh, I, I got called down to the uh, CO's office one day. He had a stack of papers on his desk. And he had, a, he had the form, the paperwork that my charge nurse had fi- filled out. And it said that I was a horrible person, right? And he says, I've got this problem because this is what your supervisor says. And then he's got this big stack of letters that are patient letters that are saying, man, great care, guide to wonderful, wonderful care, best we've had. He said, I, I have a problem with this. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm, I think it may be something between you and the charge nurse. I'm going to move you. And so they put me on a di- different wing and I did better, but I, I really didn't like being in that, uh, the hospital environment. So I got to, my next duty station was down at Lejeune and I went down there and, uh, there was where things kind of got, uh, there's where things took a, a really bad turn because I, I made this friend down there. And, uh, after about, no, after I knew him for about two years, I began to molest his daughter. And, uh, that continued for a while, quite a while actually. And, uh, you know, eventually that came out and as all things will. And, uh, and were you married at this point? Um, at that, when it began, no, I was not. As a matter of fact, that's, that's actually one of the reasons that I decided to get married because I thought that would fix the problem too. You know, if I had a wife, things are, things are going to be all right. But, um, that didn't help at all. Um, unfortunately. Uh, So, um, it came out uh, after some years, after some time. And by that time I was married. Um, I had actually gotten out of the Navy and come back in when, when it came out. And uh, because of some issues and stuff, they didn't prosecute. Um, they, they were, I, I, I don't really understand it all, but they didn't at that time. But they were going to just discharge me from the Navy. And if I had, uh, I, I guess if I had turned around then, things would have been a lot better. But uh, yeah. I had this attitude that, you know, well, I'm already sunk. I'm already done. I'm already sunk. So... Um, while I was waiting on this processing to get out of the Navy, I ended up molesting another girl. And that time they uh, they prosecuted, and I ended up going to the brig for 18 months, um, which is interesting because if you look at when you were in prison, and I, I went to the brig, I got out, you went to prison, you got out, then I went to prison. <laughs> so we've been doing this since like 96. <laughs> but um, that... Uh, so when I was there, they had this, uh, this program and, uh, in the program, it was, it was for sex offenders and this therapist was there. And, um, so I had, I had kind of used my religion at the time as a shield to deflect everything that he was saying about, yeah. you know, how to, how to make changes. And so when I was getting ready to leave, he, he basically said, you're hopeless. You're wow. hopeless. You're, there's nothing ever going to change in your life. And I understand now what he was saying is that because you won't listen to what I'm telling yeah. you and you keep doing this, I believe by faith I'm healed that I don't, and I don't have to do all this work that you're hopeless. You, you're, you're not fixed. 
And so I didn't listen. And I, I was doing that whole, you know, I believe I'm healed, so I'm, I'm healed. And at that time, the federal government wasn't really required to report. And so I got out and we went to Wisconsin and, you know, like clean slate, you, you're, here's your second chance. And uh, I went to work for a, a company up there, a turkey plant. And uh, one of the coolest interviews that I had, I was a temp working for them and they posted for a maintenance job. And I was like, can I apply for that? And the, the, guy, the, the line manager was like, sure, anybody that works here can apply for that position, but they won't hire you because you're a temp. And so I put in the application and they called me for the interview and I come down and on the manager's desk is a, a pair of coveralls with my name on it and some boots and a hat with my name on it. And I said, I guess I got the job. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to hire you. But I ended up losing that job too because, um, because of the, the sexual addiction. I, I, I had porn everywhere and I had some pornography that was in a, a folder in my locker. And when my grandmother died, I, uh, I went to the funeral in Michigan, and there was some stuff in my locker that they needed. So they got in there, and they found the porn. And when I got back, they, they let me go. And again, uh, that was a could have been a, a place where I could have turned around, but I didn't. And so we did a couple of things up there, and then we came down to Missouri. And for a little bit, things were going well here. And then we lost the house. Um, we, we My wife and I were buying a house, and she was. we had no sooner agreed to buy the house then we found out she was pregnant with our fourth child and uh, she was working at the time and the company that she was working for said yeah we rode with you with the last pregnancy but we're not doing that again so um thank you goodbye and so all of a sudden we didn't have the money to afford the the payment and we ended up uh, in bankruptcy and we lost the house and everything mm. and we moved to another place and uh I, I became very despondent, and of course the, the sexual addiction was just out of control because when we moved down here, we got fast internet, and now I can now instead of taking three hours to download a picture, you know, you can get thousands, and uh, so I had all kinds of, I mean, I was just nuts with, with downloading stuff and on the internet, and uh, cost many jobs and, and all that kind of stuff, and it was just a, a increasingly getting worse. And uh, so we had the, there was a neighbor girl and she came over and, and I, I ended up molesting her. And uh, then after that, I was just like totally, totally hopeless. Yeah. Um, and, and there was a point, and it, there was actually quite a bit earlier in the story where I had been praying for God. And I think I had actually been praying that God would release me from the sexual addiction. And he, I didn't get it the way I wanted. And so I, I, I can remember saying, well, if you won't give me what I want, Satan will, and I'll serve him. And so for probably 15, 20 years, I went to church, but I, I, I knew I was disqualified, right? Because yeah. I had agreed to serve Satan. And so I, I ended up molesting this neighbor girl. And uh, I knew at that point that I was done. Uh, there's no, you know, it's not going to be a slap on the hands this time. This time it's going to be big time. And um, because of that, because of that mindset that you're already going to pay the penalty for it, um, to, in my mind, it didn't matter anymore what I did. And I ended up molesting one of my daughters. And uh, that's just, it's, it's horrible. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was, it was horrible, bad. 
And uh, I was on the roof at work when my wife called to say that the, the DFS was investigating. And at the time, I was about two foot from a four-story drop. And I thought, all I got to do is step backwards, and this is done. Uh, and and I, it, was, it was touch and go for a little bit. And uh, so we, DFS said I couldn't live at the house anymore. I had to move out. And that first night, I slept in my van in a truck stop. And uh, all I was thinking about was, you know, if I went out and I could just lay down under one of the semi-truck trailers, and when he started moving, it'd be over. And I wouldn't even know it was coming, right? It would just be done. And uh, that was that was the lowest low point. Um, I remember I called home a couple of days later to talk to my wife about something. And my daughter was in the background, and she was just screaming because she wanted me to come home. And my wife was trying to tell her, he can't. He can't. And she was screaming, I want Daddy to go home. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It just, it hurt so bad. Yeah. And, uh, but one of the things that I did, and this is, this is like really super nerdy. Um, I was in a group called Dagger that does, uh, like medieval sword fighting stuff with, yeah. with foam swords. And I had the whole chainmail shirt and you know, leather armor and stuff like that. And I cobbled together this really bizarre oath of fealty out of like Lord of the Rings and a couple other books that I really liked. And so one day I got on my knees and I, I actually had this great big fake, uh, Claymore sword right? The three foot long sword. I got on my knees and I swore an oath of fealty to Jesus. I was like, that's it. You're, you're my Lord. And so, um, you know, that, that brings up questions as far as the theology of the thing goes, because that's really weird anyways. But, uh, you know, um, I, I guess, you know, was I saved when I first prayed that prayer back in 14, when I was 14 or then, or at some other point? And, uh, you know, it's, the, the, the picture that comes to my mind is like a car that runs down into a mud puddle, right? And it and the driver realizes he's stuck. And let's say there was a tow truck operator that saw it happen and knew he couldn't get out by himself. So he walks down and he's got the cable with him, right? And all he's waiting for is the, the driver to call and say, hey, I'm stuck. And he can hook it on there and pull him out. And uh, so when does the car become unstuck when the guy asks for help or when it gets out of the mud and then when it's sitting up there on the road still covered in mud it's not still stuck right so but um, at that point i began to see some evidence in my life of repentance um, things began to change a little bit but i still had this really problem accepting that that god could love me especially yeah. after i did all these things and i i call it living like a living like a gentile in jerusalem right I know about the promises of God, but I'm disqualified because of this or that. Or And, and I think there's a lot of people that maybe live like that. But uh, so I, I went along with that for a little bit. And after about two weeks, I was at church one day and a friend of mine uh, said that they were, they were actually about to arrest my wife. He said they think that she has um, had knowledge of what was going on and didn't report it. Mm. And they're going to arrest her, and they're going to take the kids from her and put them in DFS. And uh, also because because you talked to the pastor, and he's a mandatory reporter, and he didn't turn you in right away, they're going to take the church from him unless you go down to turn yourself in. He said, go to the sheriff's department, give a full confession, and, and none of that's going to happen. And so I went home that night, and I was thinking about it, and I was praying about it. And I said, oh, Lord, you know, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And I, I went to sleep that night. And, like, I had this dream. 
and Jeremiah 1.7 was written everywhere. And I, I'm, I'm not real familiar with that verse. So I wake up and I look it up and it says, do not be afraid to go talk to those that I send you to. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm in. I'll do that. So I went down and uh, the people that I was staying with, they had a daughter who was on the street and uh, they hadn't seen her in a while and they were really concerned about her. So I said, the first thing I'm going to do is this. And I went down to where the last place they had seen her and I went to everything, like the McDonald's, the laundromat and everything. And I showed him another picture. And at that kind of time, I kind of looked like a cop. And so nobody would talk to me. But uh, I showed him the picture. And I said, if you see this girl, tell her that her parents love her. And they want her to come home. And I went all over Kansas City doing that. You know? And actually, I guess when she came back, she was in jail at the time. When she hit the street, she said that she couldn't go nowhere without people telling her that their mom loved her. <laughs> and she actually ended up going back home. And so that's awesome. But... Uh, so I, I thought I was going to die that day. I, th- I really thought, thought I was on a suicide mission. I thought when I went to the sheriff's office and confessed that they'd put me in, you know, I've seen it on television, right? Yeah. They put you in the cell with the, the Bruno and you, you end up dying. And I went into the sheriff's office and uh, I told him that I wanted to confess. And he, he actually said, well, I'm, I'm kind of busy today. Can you come back tomorrow? I'm like, no, I've got $600 in a van. If I don't, if I walk out of this police station, you're going to have to come look for me. So let's do this now while I'm, while I'm up for it. So I went in and I confessed. And uh, they put me in solitary confinement um, on a suicide, in a paper, paper suit. And uh, so there we go. And for oh, probably 10 years, I continued in that idea that I had sold out to Satan, but I still went to church. I mean, that's just what I did. I went to church and I had some really great experiences with God, but they were like really temporary. And I uh, move up to, uh, oh, what, 2010. I'm at the, about the halfway point on this 22 sentence, year sentence. And I'm thinking about the fact that I've got as many days to do as I've done. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I was just like, I'm done. And I felt like I was invisible. I didn't feel like anybody was noticing me. I felt like, I felt like even at our church, I felt like if I were gone, they wouldn't even notice. Mm. Nobody would even say anything. And, uh, so I was, I was gonna, I was gonna kill myself. I was gonna end end my life, but I didn't want to do it around Christmas because Christmas was grandma's favorite holiday. And even though she had already passed, I didn't want to ruin Christmas. So I was going to do it after Christmas. I said, you know, you know, after Christmas, we'll do this. And I had, I had made a plan and everything. And I ran into, I was a, I was a tutor at the time. And I ran into a guy that uh, had been in this, they have a program that's called the Intensive Therapeutic Community. And in this program, it, it's, it's really tough. And I had tried it and dropped out or got washed out because I wouldn't, I wouldn't admit that I had a problem or that I had abused alcohol. And I wanted recovery my way. Yeah, they oh, were, yeah. <laughs> they were, they weren't about to do that. So, um, he said, you know, if you want to come back, things have changed and they'll let you back in. I'm like, no, they won't. You don't understand. I've written this lady every year for, for 10 years or seven years, I guess at that point, she always says no. He said, well, just try it once more. And so I had this plan in my mind. I was going to write her a letter and she was going to reject me. And I was going to use that paper, that rejection write the suicide note on so that they would have no doubt that it was her rejection only she didn't reject me (laughs) she Mm. said uh um i'd sent her the note on a tuesday and on a thursday she called and she said mr etchison have you abused alcohol i said yes i've abused it i've been drunk four times 
She said, okay, are you serious about wanting to do this program? Yes, ma'am, I'm serious. She said, all right, I'll move you. And uh, Monday was a holiday, and Tuesday I moved over to that, mm. that program. And that's, that's like unheard wow. of in the DOC. You don't yeah. get immediate moves like that. And so that's when I began to see God was really kind of moving, right? And uh, so the first weekend in the program, I'm, I'm there in the wing, and I'm feeling some things. And I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let these facilitators know that I've had this problem with these suicidal thoughts. And uh, so I go and I talk to the guy, and he's like, um, you're not thinking about doing this now, are you? And I said, no, it's past. I'm fine now. He's like, okay, well, um, let's, 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 let's talk to the sergeant. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And the sergeant takes me into the back, and we have a little talk. And he says, you're not thinking about killing yourself now, are you? I said, no, no, I'm fine. He said, well, I'd, I'd really feel better if you go talk to mental health. And I said, I'm, I'm okay with that. He said, all right, stand up and cuff up. And I'm like, What? He says, yeah, no, we have to take you in cuffs down to mental health. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll endure this. So we go down there, and uh, it's, uh, it's, um, I go down there, and he tells me to strip out, and they put me in the suicide cell, which in Missouri, you, you, you're naked, and they give you this little turtle costume that doesn't really do anything. And uh, if you weren't really serious about it when you went in, you might be coming out. And uh, in there, I did. I actually had a really good time with God, and and uh, I started. Now what, now, what year was this? How long ago was this? This would have been uh, five, six years ago. Okay. And uh, I, I was at one point. I was singing Father Abraham and kind of dancing around the cell, and just I was like, okay, they think I'm crazy. I'll be crazy, okay. And so I get out and I get into the the ITC program, and it's it's a really wonderful program, but it's solid recovery. And the first like the lower phase, they're trying to break you down. They're trying to break down all this stuff that you've got built up. And part of that is you have to tell your life story. Yeah. And uh, when it came time to tell my life story, my facilitator is like, hey, listen, when you tell this story, you can't untell it. Once it's told, people will know. And I said, I, I need to tell it. He said, okay, if you drop out now, nobody's going to be mad. And, and I was like, I was thinking, you're encouraging me to drop out. <laughs> and so I, it comes my turn, and uh, I'm nervous about telling this story and when I'm nervous I start to talk louder and I'm, I'm like I'm I'm so loud that people are coming out of their wings out of the door into the wing because in the ITC everything's really quiet right and they're coming out and they're looking and I get done telling my life story and I realize that I've just said it so loud that the whole wing has heard the story wow. and the facilitators are up at the front table watching and one of them goes well he just did that <laughs> and then my facilitator told me he said man you don't ever have to worry about public speaking again because you just gave the hardest speech in your life and nailed it. And uh, that's been true. Um, since then, I can, I can tell the story. And, and we know that we're getting past things when we can talk about it, when we can talk about the things that we've done and, and look them square in the eye and go, man, that was bad. That was bad. And then from then, God has been really kind of planting in my heart that, yeah, that was bad, but you're not, right? Yeah. And so... I, I saw this one, uh, vision one time, and I was walking, and I had this big sign around my neck, and it was, it was big, heavy, rusty chain, and it was green and icky, and it said, Child Wester. And I was walking, and Jesus comes up, and he stops me, and he spins me around. And, and when I turn around, he has crossed off the Child Wester and wrote, Of God, right there, right? And I'm like, Child of God, okay. And then I spin around again, and the, the, the molester word is, is dimmer, and the uh, of God is brighter. And then the third time he spins me around, 
it's um, the chain is gold and it's a big white sign with gold letters and it says child of God but you can still see where it said child molester yeah right? and uh, that's because my scars they don't they don't define me they show how God has refined me right and uh, so you know I know that there's people that'll be listening today to this that are like yeah man he's talking about me and so that's that's my prayer is that somebody that has that label that they put on their life yeah. will be able to say, hey, you know, if God will do it for him, he'll do it for me. And uh, so we, anyways, I get done with the ITC and I end up coming up here. Um, and this was a total culture shock because I was at a level five. Um, believe it or not, uh, I, I came here, I had done uh, about 12 years at level fives and had never, ever seen a fight. And that was, I mean, God, because God protected me. Right through the whole thing, I was assaulted one time, and I, I didn't even see that because that came from the back. But um, I had never seen a fight, and I got here and like coming off the bus, there was a fight in in receiving. I'm like, holy cow, what am I in for? And uh, I end up in the swing that there was a lot of people that didn't like people like me in the wing, and uh, there was a couple of them that came and talked to me and asked me to leave the wing, and I was like, no, no, I'm I'm good here, I'm all right, and then. Uh, one day, my celly gave me a note, and he said that it had come from those people, and that it said that I needed to leave immediately. And at that point, I was kind of frustrated with dealing with him. And it was it was like three days before Christmas, so I went back and I told him I said, "Yeah, I need to I need to go to uh, protective custody." And uh, you know, I, I was kind of proud of the fact that I had done twelve years on the yard at a level five and had never needed to do that, but here I was. And so we get, I get down to this, the, get down to the hole and, uh, they put me in a cell by myself and I'm like, this might not be too bad. And then about three hours later, they move this little young rascal in there <laughs> and he's, he's just starting his bit and he's trying to, he's trying to earn his stripes kind of thing. Right. And, uh, he tells me the next day, he says, all right, I can't sell with you. This is what's, what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to tell me you need breathing treatment. And when they take you out, tell them you're not coming back. And I'm like. I don't know about that. So I tried it, and the sergeant's like, look, you got two choices. You can go back in there, or we'll find someplace else for you, but I'd go back in there. So I went back in, and so for for two days, I heard him telling people through the vent that the only reason he was letting me stay in there is he's going to take Christmas dinner. And I was like, man, I don't want to lose my Christmas dinner, but, you know, oh well. And finally, Christmas comes, and he's like, don't worry about it, dude. I'm not taking your dinner. I just had to say that to them. I'm like, okay. He said, we're cool. You're, you know, if you had tried to lie about things, it'd be different. But you, you told the truth, and so we're cool. So I had my Christmas dinner. And then two days later, on the 27th of December, which was the, it was actually like the 10th anniversary of when my grandmother died, I was in the cell, and I was thinking about, you know, what life was going to look like when I had to go to PC, and I wouldn't be able to do anything, and and. The, the suicidal thoughts just came streaming back mm, again, right? Yeah. And I was seriously thinking about just doing it. I was like, and I, I was actually trying to figure out how to get my celly out of the cell so he wouldn't catch a murder on this, right? And uh, he just all of a sudden jumps up off the bottom bunk. He says, dude, look, you got to go. You got to push that button right now and tell him you're suicidal or we're fighting. I don't care, but you got to go. And, and I got down on the bed and I was, I was feeling a little bit... Um, I was feeling some stuff, I'll tell you. And so I told him, I said, uh, you're right, I am suicidal. 
I said, we can fight and maybe we'll get lucky and you'll kill me. And, nobody, and then you know, nobody has to worry about either of us going home. And uh, I think he went and pushed the button for me at that point because he was kind of scared that, uh, wait a minute, this might be a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper than I wanted. And so the sergeant comes and he pulls me out of the cell and he says, he says, uh, tell me the truth. Are you really suicidal or are you just trying to manipulate things? And I started to talk to him and like this dam broke and uh, everything, 30 years worth of stuff comes flowing out. And he's like, okay, 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 just calm down, calm down. Let's get somebody to talk to you. Um, Because I went from manipulator to person in crisis immediately. And uh, so he he took me over there and sat me down and um, they came and talked to me and like four hours worth of counseling right away then. And then, of course, they stick into that suicide cell. And I was it's two days after Christmas. So I'm in the suicide cell and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. Life can't get any worse. You're on the way to PC. You're in a suicide cell. You're naked. It's 40 degrees. Oh, it just can't get any worse. And the guy upstairs decided he was bored, so he stuffed the toilet full of stuff and flooded the flooded his cell, and it ran downstairs. And of course, all the toilet water came in my cell. I'm like, oh, so it can get worse. And uh, you know, I, I say that God talks to me a lot, but most of the time that's just just like the the quiet impression. Yeah. But every once in a while, you'll hear him say something. Yeah. And that time he asked, he said, "Are you done yet?" And I was like, "I'm so done." I just, I lifted my hands and I just started to sing, um, 10,000 reasons. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like everything changed right then. And, uh, so after that, um, after that, I can see serious evidence of repentance in my life and I can see that things have just been, um, we've, we've been working on one thing after another. And, uh, you know, there was some things that, that, that really bothered me that were, you know, I'm like, Oh, but I've got to stop doing this. Yeah. And God's like, don't worry about that. I got that. Um, let's, let's deal with some of these root causes and stuff. And so, um, so it's been, you know, uh, three, three years now and we've been just working through all kinds of stuff. Um, I was in a, I was in a cell with a guy that was, he was a little knucklehead and he was trying to fight. And I had people in the wing that had told him he couldn't hurt me. So he was trying to get me to lay hands on him so he could he could come back. And he would do stuff like, I came in one day and my fan, I had fan on my laundry and it was shut off. I was like, what's up? He said, that fan's way too loud, man. I'm like, okay. And uh, so I come back a couple of days later, well, back up a little bit because I had, I had watched Stephen Furtick, right? I love Stephen Furtick, he's awesome. But that day he preached about keeping your hands on the on the harp, right? That when trouble came, you gotta, you gotta pray your way, praise your way through it. And so I watched that in the morning and then I came back from work that day and it was on like at 11 o'clock and I never watched it 11, but I caught it again and I caught it again at four. I'm like, God, um, what are we doing? <laughs> cause, cause you keep telling me to, to keep praising when we go through trouble. So I'm thinking we're going through trouble. And, uh, anyways, so we get to the point where I just got to go. I'm like, I can't deal with this guy. He's just being obnoxious. And, uh, I had been pushing a guy in a wheelchair and, uh, get called down to the bubble one day and uh, they were starting the Missouri Veterans Wing program and I had talked to them about coming over and stuff and um, because my service had not ended as well as I'd hoped it would I didn't know if I was qualified for it and he said sure you can come but um, this day he called me out there and he's like "Um, I got this guy he's 85 years old and he's got Alzheimer's would you be his pusher in the vet wing I'm like absolutely sure I'm in 
And he said, okay, I'll move you. And we moved that afternoon. So this is like even quicker than before. And I moved over to the Veterans Wing program. And uh, man, Mel, Mel taught me a whole lot about loving people. That yeah. was just, I mean, it was amazing. Um, I, I do this thing where on the first Saturday of the month, I stay up and I pray all night, right? And in the middle of that, I, I had some cookies, right? I had, a, I had about 12 vanilla wafer cookies and I was going to stop at two o'clock and I was going to have this great time with God, right? And uh, so Mel sits up in the middle of the night. He goes, I'm hungry. Have we got any cookies? And I'm like, I started to say no. And the Holy Spirit said, don't you lie to that old man. I'm like, yeah, Mel, we got cookies. We got, we got 12. You want some? And so I give him six cookies and I, I say back six, right? And Mel eats those. He says, I'm still hungry. You got more cookies? I'm like, yeah, yeah, buddy. Here's the cookies. So, but, uh, you know, God has, God has been doing some awesome things. Um, this camp is such a huge blessing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed it out there. When I first saw this camp, I was like, I'm living in a roadside stop? Because <laughs> it does. It looks like a rest area. We got pavilions and we have got all kinds of um, church activity going on. I don't, I don't know if they told you we're actually having revival services this week. Oh, wow. Um, if you notice guys leaving later tonight, um, that's where they're going. They're going to revival okay. service. Last okay. night, they, it's, um, it's Red Life Ministries, and they, they actually, they're out of Kansas City, but they've been down all over Texas and stuff. They're, um, they go to Texas, Florida, and now Oklahoma. And last night was the first night, and it was awesome. And 16 years in prison, I've never seen them have a three-night revival service. Wow. And so we've got that's that. Good. That's good. Uh, that's so awesome. And then we've got, uh, we have got some amazing men of God around here right yeah we've got uh, we got our pastor and his, uh, skip merkel and we've got uh this guy jim teague and jim is just an amazing guy he just loves everybody and uh, a couple of weeks ago his son committed suicide after battling with substance addictions in jail and all that for mm. years and years and i think the church was just crushed more by it you know and then tuesday you know, so his son dies on Sunday. Tuesday, he's here for us for a club meeting because because he just loves us so much, wow. and I'm just blown away by it. Um, so we've got we've got Skip and Skip, who's our pastor, and Skip's another amazing guy. Yeah. Um, on Monday night, he does uh, what they call what we call bringing discipleship, and there's 15 of us that get to come up here, and we have classes with him, and he's basically teaching us to be ministers and pastors, and that's so awesome. And then. We've got uh, Lyndall and his wife, Lydia Shumate. They come in on, on Wednesday night. And uh, we've got, uh, uh, there's a couple others, but there's like six of them. And I was, I was adding it up the other day. And between them, they've got 150 years of prison ministry. Wow. And so I was just like, man, we are so blessed to have yes. these people pouring into our lives. And our church is awesome. So, um, so where are you in all this now? I mean, you've, you've lived a lot of your adult life and even your young childhood life thinking, you know, that you were this label that people were calling you and, and this, you know, what, what this society would call a sickness, right? you know, that, that, uh, you, you, you have a disease and that you could never be cured, right? You know, where, where are you in that process? You know, you seem like you have a little better outlook on life now. I do. And, um, uh, tell us, tell us, tell us what has what has changed? I mean, you talked about the process a little right. bit and things that have happened, but 
you know, what's the main the main change you see in your behavior, your self talk towards yourself, your um, uh, perspective on everything? So um, one night, uh, you know, you know the song uh, "No Longer Slaves." So I was listening to that song, and and I just changed the words a little bit, right? And I said, I started singing. I'm I'm no longer a child molester. I'm a child of God, and I actually sang that song all night one night. And uh, you know, as I said before, when we believe something about ourselves, we tend to live up to our expectations of yeah. ourselves. And so it's so important that you change that that thought. You may have molested children, but that doesn't define who you are. Right. And so, and nor God, does it disqualify you from God's grace and mercy. Absolutely not. Um, um, and that's, that's something that I found really hard to accept. Um, and one day I was, I was, I was praying about it. I'm like, God, why, why didn't you just d- stop me yeah. when I, when I had declared myself to be your enemy, why didn't you stop me? He said, cause I love you. And in order to stop you, I would have had to destroy you and send you to hell. Mm. And I was like, you, you let me hurt people you love because you love me. That's, that's great for me, but that, that's, that's not good for them, God. I, I don't understand how this works. And he said, the, the sheep come to the shepherd when they're injured and the goats go away. And, uh, you know, I, I know that doesn't um, change anything, you know, that, that what I would, did was so wrong and horrible. But I, I can see that in my life, uh, and the other thing he said is, is um, the person that molested you, would you want me to destroy them and send them to hell? Mm-hmm. And I had to think about it for a little bit and said, no, I, I don't want them to go to hell. I, I want them to come to know you. And he said, well, he has. And so I, I think that if we Christians actually understood what heaven was like, we, yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't do death penalties, right? Yeah. We put let people on life support and say, no, you're not going to heaven anytime soon, buddy. You're staying here for your whole thing. Well, there's a lot of people out right. there that don't believe, you know, right. people that have your past are, are going to even be in heaven. And I tell people all the time, you know, because people, people stop giving to our ministry sometimes because we serve sex offenders. Right. You know, I had somebody, some lady just hang up, hang up the right. phone call one day because she, she said, she asked me the question. I said, yes, we do. Yeah. And she hung up. And uh, I think it's sad. I think it's under, I think it's it's a spiritual ignorance, right? You know, spiritual ignorance on your part, the part of the offender, because they 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 go through life thinking that they were something because this something was done to them, right. and that they have to just keep perpetuating it because they don't realize, you know, that there's there's a God that loves them that that you know, and and then it's it's spiritual ignorance on the other part of the right. people that don't accept people that have committed sex offenses so right absolutely um you know um there was one point that i i used to say that you know uh, molesting children is is a sin but so is lying so molesting children is no worse than lying and that's that's true but it's not true because it's backwards because what the truth is is lying is as bad as child molesting in god's eyes right god sees all sin as being equally bad because it separates us from him and that's the problem is that he wants this relationship with us. So when we break that relationship with him. But my sin is not as bad as yours. That's, and that's, that's how Christians think. Right. Christians, you know, they, 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 they want to keep their sin private. Right. But at the same time, they, they, they think that you're going to sin. Your sin is worse than theirs. Right. Um, 
What, okay, so we're going to wrap it up here, but what, you know, there's a lot of um, inmates across the nation that will hear this, and there's some that have committed the same crimes. Uh, speak to them, encourage them, and then there's also some uh, inmates out there uh, and some people out in the world, too, that um, still have a hard time, even Christians. Yeah. You know, uh, Cord- John Cordero addressed it as well in his episode. Yeah. Um, but but you speak to them, too, and just let, let them know. Who you are now. Yeah. Well, I, and I would. Um, that's kind of the, the whole reason that I wanted to do this podcast is because I really hope that there's somebody out there that feels the same way, that feels like, you know, because I molested a child, I'm, un, I'm disqualified and, and my life doesn't matter anymore. And I just want to know that I'm nobody special. Um, God loves all of us. And if he did it for me, he can certainly do it for them. Uh, yeah, I think I think that the, sometimes people have a hard time with okay, if, if, if God forgives you or if Christians forgive you or, or, you know, whatever, that it's almost saying what you did was okay. And I don't know of any, anybody that's even, even my crimes, right. You know, I know just because I've been forgiven doesn't mean what I did was okay. You know, I acknowledge what I did. It was wrong. Uh, but again, just like you, I don't let my past define who I am today. And you know, um, for me, and, and I know that, that what I did was horrible, right? And so even though I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've been forgiven and that God loves me, I still know that what I did was wrong. And uh, that, that brokenness, and when, you, when you're able to look into that brokenness and say, I know that I was wrong there, yeah. that's when God can start to work with you. Right. And I think that sometimes the people that have gone through these things, they end up being stronger because of the things yeah, they've gone through. I agree. And, I agree. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to speak to the, 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 the people out there that, that have sex offenses and just let them know that um, your truth may be ugly, but it's your truth. And embrace that and give that to God and let him work through that and heal that. And he'll do amazing. And and you've said it um, many, many times. Let him make your mess into your message. Yeah. And I've also said, um, you know, when I was talking about what were our name, Forgiven Felons, and, and I was trying to get God to, like, make the word felon disappear, and he said, no, embrace it. Right. Because that's my right. truth. Embrace it. Uh, but and, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, just because you embrace something doesn't mean you let, have to let it identify you. Right. And, and Jesus... Jesus had scars. Yes, he did, and he chose after, to keep them. After he died, he rose again, and he had a choice yes, to walk in his new body, mm-hmm. but he chose to keep the scars. Right. The scars are show what he's been through. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I've been through. Yeah. This is what I did. And, and he died for all of our yeah. sins, so he committed all of our sins. Mm-hmm. That's what he took on the cross with us. And if he had chose to not have those scars, mm. Thomas wouldn't have been under would, would yeah, not would have, have been, been a believer. Yeah. Because Thomas said, unless I can put, put my, my fingers, fingers. on the scars. Mm. So our scars point people to Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus' own scars pointed Thomas back to him, mm. back to the truth. Right. And so the scars that we carry, the, my, the word felon is my scar. Right. Right. You know, and uh, you have scars. We all have scars. And if you're not allowing your scar to point people to Jesus, 
you right. know, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> and it, and so, um, because of what I've been through, I have this unique voice, and I can speak to a certain population that you might not be able to speak right. to, and you can speak to people I can't speak to, and so God uses us in those in those places and All in together. those ways. The kingdom and, needs both of our testimonies, absolutely. and the kingdom even needs those testimonies of people who have never messed up, right? You I, know, I, criminally at least. God kept me from all that, and I'm so blessed. <laughs> but. The, but the the kingdom of God needs all of our stories. It absolutely. needs it needs the steadfast, faithful stories of people who have always stayed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like my wife. Yeah, the kingdom of God needs those stories too. Absolutely, um, the Absolutely. world needs to hear those stories because there's going to be somebody that comes that gets saved that will remain steadfast mm-hmm. the rest of their life. Yeah, and so they need to hear uh, hear from my wife that it's possible right. to remain steadfast. Right, you know. But then somebody else needs some alcoholic or drug addict needs to hear that you know, oh, this dude relapsed eighteen times, and, right. and, and someday, and one time he stopped, and he doesn't relapse anymore. Now he's you know celebrating his nineteen and a half years of sobriety. And speaking of that, today is uh, September 15th with his uh, Kenneth Pruitt's uh, 14-year yes. clean date. And yep. so congratulations to Kenneth on that. And uh, this Sunday, this uh, this Sunday, uh, of course not when we're airing this episode. This right. episode will be aired in, in October, but uh, September 18th, mm-hmm. which now they are calling National Comeback to Church Day. Is, uh, really? September okay. 18th. September 18th is my spiritual birthday. Right, right. That's the day that I landed in solitary confinement. And and the other thing that I have to say, okay, when we're, since we're talking about days, yesterday was my mom and dad's uh, 59th wedding anniversary. Wow. And so that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, So we're, we're, we're about to go eat here. And yeah, man, you invited me to this banquet. And, 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 and you know, I sent the menu for the, the meal yeah. right, in that letter. And that was a shameless appeal to your pastor's stomach. Because <laughs> when you were talking to John, and, and I had misquoted it in my brain because I thought you said it, but it's actually John that said, they must know I was going to be a minister because there was free food afterwards. I'm like, I'll put the menu in here. Maybe he'll come for the chicken. All right. But, so so everybody who's in prison, just uh, bear with us. But we there's a banquet tonight. It's an NFL theme. Uh, I am wearing my Steelers jersey to the uh, to the banquet. Right, right. And uh, we're having what? Tell us what we're having again. Um, I, I think we're having pork steak and chicken, fried chicken, and, and uh, onion rings and potato wedges. And Hawaii, King Hawaiian rolls. Um, all the organizations here, we get to have a banquet every year, and this is like banquet season for me. Nice. And and so all my clubs are all lined up. So I I don't even know what we're eating, but we're going to also switch out, like we said. And uh, Kenneth Friend. Who was the he was the president who got me nominated for the job when I wasn't at the meeting and that was horrible of him but um, he nominated me as president at a meeting I wasn't at and uh, so he's going to be taking over as president again and um, so we'll, well, we'll give a little been, shout it's, out to it's it. been an honor to hear your story up Thank close you. and personal I've kind of I've kind of known about it all along because of the letters already but um, but I just want to thank you for your time. Thank right. you for the invite. I can't wait to speak tonight and hang right. out with all it's you gonna guys. Be awesome. It's going to be and, so awesome. And uh, uh, again, thank you so much yeah. uh, right. for for being transparent, vulnerable, putting it out there, but also sharing who Jesus has, right. has the man Jesus has made you. And, and I, I really just hope that somebody listens to it and goes, "Man, if he can do it for him," because because a lot, you know, I was listening to yours and I'm like, "That's different," but God. You did it for him. Come on, do it for me. Do some, and and he did. There's some things that he has taken away. Yeah. And because I prayed, I said, "You did it for Dan or J. Dan. You can do it for me." 
and he did. But there's other things that we're going to have to walk through. And yeah, we're 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 fixing these. That's the thing, man. I, and whatever whatever he does to take away means he believes that there's there's right. something in you that can walk through this journey of deliverance. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for listening and continuing to. Keep, keep pushing forward and serving the Lord. I will. And you do the same because uh, I'm coming to work for you. <laughs> All right, man. Come on down. Um, actually, yeah, uh, I, I I told you I listened to like two episodes. I'm like, it was John Cordero and Priscilla Bordeo. And I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever. I'm, I'm going. So. All right. Well, thank you, man, once again. And I appreciate you. Thank you for coming. All right. Okay, there you go. What an interview. Uh, and again, that was done almost a little over two months ago. So some of the stuff that uh, we talked about are, um, happened back then. But listen, I just want to say thank you to Michael uh, for being transparent, vulnerable, and, uh, and opening up your heart so that everyone across the nation, you know, someone's, someone's sitting in another prison cell that uh, has gone through or is going through some things uh, just like you. I've got, I've got good friends out here on the outside that have, you know, past sex offense charges and um and they've been they've been saved and delivered uh by our lord and savior jesus christ and i'm, and I'm happy for it i'm happy to call them friend i'm honored honored to call them friends so all right well um listen no matter what you've done in life no matter what you've done you have the opportunity according to the word of god to turn from your ways repent ask forgiveness for your sins and follow christ and, you know, even when you do that, there might still be some discipleship needed and mentoring needed. Like Michael said, you know, he, he still couldn't seem to kick some of the, the habits, but you know, he, um, he kept, he kept at it. You kept, you keep going and doing what you believe. And listen, you know, you heard him talk about pornography, man. You know, a lot of people don't think pornography is wrong. Uh, a lot of people think that it's normal. Uh, pornography's hardcore strong in the in the church I think it was like 60 to 70 percent of pastors or youth pastors had viewed porn uh, the, the the little survey I saw in church one time or in a conference it's crazy pornography leads to all kinds of things man don't just stay away from it stay away from it but um, anyway well uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode we got a special Thanksgiving episode coming up we got our Thanksgiving dinner for forgiving felons coming up and uh, so I just want to I want to pray over Mike and uh, and all of you, Father in Jesus' name. I thank you for Michael. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for delivering him. Thank you for the man of God he is now. That that Satan didn't have the final word. Uh, that he is called child of God, not child molester. Some people will still call him uh, that old name, but he he doesn't have to embrace it. He doesn't have to let him identify it. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to use Michael's story to change so many people's lives, to bring them out of the darkness into the light, and to let people know that they do still have a place in the kingdom of God if they turn from their ways, repent, confess their sins, and repent. And Lord, I thank you for for um, the warden and, uh, and 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 all of the facility unit fum. I can't remember all the the uh, uh, abbreviations, the letters, but all the ladies that were involved. Miss Julie Brandstetter, um, Tani, uh, everybody who was involved. The warden, thank you, warden. Thank you, warden, uh, assistant warden, all the staff, everybody that was rolled out the red carpet for me. Thank y'all so much. 
Lord, I lift them up to you, and I pray you continue to open doors for their unit and and uh, and, and allow them favor and creativity and helping men rehabilitate. And Lord, I just pray over every inmate across the nation. I pray over every listener, uh, inside and out of prison. And I ask you just to give them the breakthrough they need, give them the tools and the strategies and solutions they need to uh, solve issues and problems in their family, in their community, and around the world. Lord, we thank you. We're thankful for you, Lord. We're thankful for this podcast and the reach it brings. We love you, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Um, thanks again. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll try to air one. If, it, if the Thanksgiving one doesn't air before Thanksgiving, have a happy Thanksgiving. We love y'all. See you on the next background check. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the background check podcast brought to you by forgiven felons, helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit forgivenfelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.